0: And We're going to agree together right now that our families are going to be saved. We're going to agree together right now in this building that our children are going to be delivered and saved and set free. Come on, some of you are praying today for children that are not serving the Lord. We're going to speak it in the name of Jesus, wherever two or three agree together. Agree together. It is done. In the name of Jesus, we agree together salvation over our families we speak salvation over our children we speak salvation and healing over our families right now in the name of Jesus come on there's power in that name but you got to speak the name the power is in the declaration when you begin to speak the name of Jesus you invite him into your circumstance you invite Jesus into your situation Come on, that problem might seem too big for you, but it's not too big for Jesus. Hallelujah, we speak the name of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise all around this room right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah amen amen would you turn to somebody next to you right now and tell them i'm speaking the name of jesus over you come on there are some of you today that you can't even speak the name because you're bound by demonic oppression amen i speak the name of jesus over you you may not have the power to say it but i'm going to say it for you right now i believe by the time you leave here today you're going to be saying it for yourself but in the name of jesus i speak jesus Over every marriage, over every child, over every teenager, over every young person, I speak the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Right now, if we could, we're going to do something a little bit different that we don't normally do, but we're going to dismiss all of our children ages 4 to 8. We've got a special uh, worship class just for our children today, ages 4 to 8. Amen. Uh, If I could, uh, maybe one of the teachers up front. Maybe another one in the back. All right, we got Brother Sylvia up here. Amen. The, the class they're going to be going to, they're going to be learning about the same thing we're going to be learning here, but they're going to be learning at a more kid-appropriate, more child-specific um, age group. All right? So all of our children, ages 4 to 8, amen, we want to invite you to join our uh, worship, our children's team right now as they're going to be going into the youth room. Amen. And certainly we're not going to force any of your kids to go. It's just an invitation. Probably they'll enjoy it a little bit more than they might in here. Amen. Amen. They're going to get lots of candy in there and sugar and get them all good and sugared up for you. You're welcome, Brother Henry. And then we'll give them back to you and you can take them home. Amen. Good to see Damien here today. Love you, buddy. Cortez. good to see you. Amen. Good to see Brother and Sister Barr here today. Amen. If you're new to Living Hope, you might not know Brother and Sister Barr. Brother Barr was my youth pastor. He was here. They were here for 20, probably a good 17 years. They were here and served in ministry, and we love them. They're now uh, serving in a church up in uh, Antioch, up in Annapolis, and we honor them. We love them. They're going to be back in a couple weeks for our 40-year celebration, but we just I want to take a moment to honor them today. And uh, amen. Amen. And so many other guests that are here today. And I'm trying to gauge the atmosphere on some of you right now, the temperature as to whether I call you out or not. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. So I'm trying to measure the temperature right now. It's good to see my cousin Aaron here today. Love you, Aaron. and his family, beautiful family. So good to see them here today. Also, my cousin Daniel and his wife Tabitha are missionaries to the Republic of Georgia. We're so glad to see them today. Amen. And Stephen and Marge, got the whole family here today. So glad, thankful for what God is doing in this family, the great things that God is doing. How many of you are thankful for what God is doing in your family? I'm thankful for what God is doing. Amen. None of us, there are no perfect families. Mine included, we're not perfect. We know how to dress up and come to church and look the part. And we're striving to be good Christians, but we're real people. We have our problems. We have our ups and downs. But I'm thankful for the work that God is doing in my family. Amen. We should celebrate the good things that God is doing. Amen. Amen. We're not everything we could be and should be, but thank God we're not what we used to be. Amen. That God is doing a work in us. Amen. 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 Welcome home, we say again to everyone that is here today. And more than just welcome home, we want you to say this is home. Amen. We want you to be able to say this is home. We pray that you've been made to feel welcome. Amen. If you haven't yet, before you leave here, that somebody greets you and lets you know how glad that we are to have you here. And we do have a six-week course that we would love to invite you to. The name of that class is This Is Home. And in that six weeks, it's just a very brief introduction to the doctrines of the Word of God, as well as a brief history of our church, and we just want to kind of share with you what our mission is in this community. I believe before you should join a church, you should know what that church believes, amen. What that church is striving to do in the community. And if I could just very quickly give a summary of what our mission is in this in this community, I would say it this way: that Living Hope is a strong family of believers that exists to build strong families. That's why we exist. Our mission, our goal, is to reach every family in this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Families right now that are bound by addiction, we want to see them liberated by the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I would state that if you... Enjoy the service today. More than joy, enjoy, because we're not here to entertain. But if the worship has touched your heart, and if the preaching of the word today ministers to you, and if God, the most important thing, if God touches you, the only thing I would ask is invite somebody to come back with you next Sunday. How if you can do that? You can invite somebody. Well, I can't control whether they come, but you can control whether you invite them or not. Invite, invite a family. How if you know that it seems like so much of our society is turning its back on the family? even aggressively coming against the family. That's nothing but the devil. Amen. The Bible tells us he's like a a roaring lion that's seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants your family destroyed. He wants your marriage destroyed. He wants your children destroyed. Amen. And I believe even in our communities today, there are families that are wondering, is there anybody that's still on the side of our families? And we want to let them know there is. We are. Amen. We're fighting for your family. Amen. We're going to help you. We're going to stand beside you. We're going to join with you, and we're going to fight beside you to see your family saved and preserved. Amen. Amen. If you could turn with me to the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. Amen. did Brother Andre do an incredible job this morning teaching in Sunday school? Amen. I've, I really enjoy listening to Brother Andre teach. And maybe the second Only the second to Brother Andre's teaching thing that I enjoy more than that is listening to his mom, amen, him. I love it, amen. I love it when a parent sees their child doing something in the kingdom of God and they get behind them and Brother Andre, mom's over here, she's with you. And and I, I love that, Sister Caroline. I love that you're supporting your son, amen. Amen, amen. 28th chapter of Matthew, as you're turning there, we're gonna begin in verse one. I'll share with you, A joke. Everybody say this is a joke. So don't get offended. This is a joke. It's a humorous story. Don't worry, I saw Sister Carol right now praying for me. It's not going to be too risky, Sister Carol. (laughs) There was a husband who took his wife and mother-in-law to the Holy Land, Jerusalem, for vacation. And while they were there, the mother-in-law suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. So the coroner met with the family, the couple, and... Explained that if they were to ship her body back to the United States, it would be about $5,000. But for just a couple of hundred dollars, they could bury her there in the Holy Land. The man thought about it for a few moments and then said, 2,000 years ago, you all buried somebody here and three days later, they got up again. I can't take that chance. I'll pay the $5,000. It's a joke, all right? Don't get offended. Don't tell... My mother-in-law, that I just told that joke. Amen. Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse one. This may be my last Easter to preach to you all. (laughs) Amen. Now, after the Sabbath, as they began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen just like he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. The angel then said, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The Bible says in verse 8, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to Jesus' disciples. Amen. The Lord bless you. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise before you're seated? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And I want to preach for just a few minutes. In fact, I set my watch today for 30-minute alarm, 30 minutes. It's because I'm a sports fan and I like to celebrate halftime. Some of you just got real nervous. Amen. I want to preach for just a little while today on this thought. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. The saying is true that so much can change in one day. Today's troubles can be tomorrow's triumph. Today's challenge can be tomorrow's victory. Today's questions are tomorrow's answers. So much can change in one day. January the 14th, 1972, In the town of Loma, Montana, the temperature outside registered at negative 54 degrees Fahrenheit. That's cold. say, well, it's a dry cold. I don't care. Negative 54 is cold. I don't care if it's dry. I don't care what kind of cold it is. And 24 hours later, on the 15th of January of 1972, the temperature shifted just a little bit. By 103 degrees, because the next day the temperature was at 49 degrees. What a difference a day can make. This morning, I drove by Wawa, and yesterday when I drove home, gas was 359. Today, it's 399, at least at Wawa. What a difference a day makes. There are then events and happenings that would forever transform the landscape of the world as we know it moments and events that took place rather, December the 6th of 1941, President Dwight D. Eisenhower sat down at his executive desk and penned a letter to the Japanese emperor Hirohito and expressed his terms there on the 6th of December, writing that letter that I hope that our two nations can find a way to remain at peace with one another. One day later, That same president declared war on Japan after they had bombed Pearl Harbor. What a difference a day can make. And then there are inventions and advances in technology that have forever changed the world that we live in. Christina Paxson, president of Brown University, credits the day that Johannes Gutenberg finished the wooden printing press in the year of 1440, as the day that most impacted society. She said, the day that that printing press was invented, that day from there on, we've never been the same since that day. Paul Kennedy, the professor of history at Yale University, he says that it was the day that the steam engine was invented, that from that day, we've never been the same. I would say most recently, the day that Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, society has not been the same since that day. These points highlight and emphasize a truth. That today's possibilities do not have to govern, do not have to be governed by yesterday's reality. Amen. What, what can be today does not have to be governed by what was yesterday. Amen. Because things can change in a day's amount of time. Does anybody believe today that who you are today does not have to be governed by who you were yesterday? That what God can do in your life today does not have to be governed by what happened in your life yesterday. If you believe that, you ought to give God praise. Amen? You ought to thank God. Because that is the essence of the word hope. Everybody say hope. Hope. Without hope, you think what I was yesterday is what I will be today and who I will be tomorrow. But when hope walks into your world, you begin to believe that who I am today does not have to be challenged by what I was yesterday. And tomorrow can be better than today. Amen. Amen. Never has the difference in a day been more prevalent and more evident than the day that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And within the context of scriptures, nowhere was this difference more pronounced and prominent than in the lives of two women introduced in the first verse of Matthew chapter 28. Their names are the same, Mary, the first Or rather, the two Marys are distinguished. The first Mary is distinguished by her origin, where she came from. She's called Mary of Magdalene because she's from the city of Magdala. and So we distinguish this Mary by where she came from. And then the Bible distinguishes the other Mary, and she's simply called that in most places the other Mary, at least when she is in the same room with this Mary. She is also distinguished by the names of her sons. Amen. I can relate to that. As I've gotten older and I go to conferences now and I see uh, younger you know, uh, people at these conferences, they, don't, they say, hey, aren't, aren't you Brooke Staten's dad? Aren't you Cameron Staten's dad? Aren't you Valerie Staten's husband? I, I have a name. If you'd like to know my name and who I am, I'm more than just their dad. I'm, I'm an individual. I'm a person. But anyway, I know a little bit about how this, mother, how this Mary felt. She's identified by the names of her children The sons of Zebedee, amen. James and John, her sons, the sons of Zebedee. And while their names are the same, these two Marys, their names are the same, the paths that bring them to this moment could not be more different one than the other. The first Mary, identified by her location, Mary Magdala. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 8 verse 2 that in one point she had been possessed by seven demons that there was some place in her life that Jesus had encountered this Mary. And at that moment of their encounter, she had been possessed by seven demons. And the Bible tells us that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Now, I know we live in a, today, a day where devils and demons are marginalized, and in some ways even glamorized. We don't think it's a big deal. We, we make... You know, we got our little crystals, and you need to be careful what you mess with because those are just spirits is what you're entertaining. You're putting your trust in a power, amen, a lower spirit that doesn't have the power to save your soul, but you're entertaining a spirit that will get it, amen, that spirit might be fun to play with, but when it gets a hold of you and takes over, And so I know today's society has marginalized demons and glamorized demons, but I want to assure you today there is nothing marginal and there's nothing glamorous about a demon. Amen. If you've ever seen somebody possessed by a demon, I think there's more than we know, but they just learned how those demons know that their best way of of existing is just to blend in, and so they blend in. But if you've ever seen somebody where a demon manifests itself, that demon doesn't care anything about the person that it's possessing. They'll have them spitting all over themselves. and Anyway, I could get graphic doing all kinds of things that are disgusting and, and just there's no dignity that is left when a demon gets a hold of somebody. And this Mary Magdalene was battered and bruised. She was injured and in agony from the suffering that comes from being possessed by demons. It starts out with us thinking we possess the demon. I, I, can, I, I can tell the demon what to do. I can have fun with the devil and then I can go do my own thing. But it's, 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 it's amazing how quick the devil can flip the script on you and instead of you possessing the demon, the demon possesses you. You can't even control who you hate because you're possessed by a demon. You just hate everybody. Anybody that don't look like me, I hate them. That's a, that's a racist demon that you're possessed by. Well, I hate all white people. I hate all black people. I hate all brown. That's a racist demon that you're possessed by. Jesus, Jesus said, I love all people. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to love all people, no matter the color of their skin. Mary had lost all control. She had lost all of her dignity. She had lost every relationship. She had lost every possession. Anything and everything that at one time brought meaning into her world was gone. The fact that the Bible tells us that Mary was possessed of seven demons is more than just saying there were seven different demons. In the Bible, the number seven is a number of completion. And so what the scripture was saying is this woman was completely possessed by the devil. Uh, Amen. She was completely hopeless and completely helpless. Uh, Her entire world was wrecked. Uh, She had no hope, but Jesus stepped into her world. Uh, Amen. When it looked like everything was gone, Jesus stepped in. I want you to know today you might have walked in here and you feel like you've got no control and you feel like it's hopeless and it's helpless. I came today to introduce you to Jesus. If this Mary could testify, she would say, I've lived a rough life, but she had been brought out. And then we have the other Mary, also known as Mary the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, sons of Zebedee. Richard Loss in his Bible encyclopedia says that this woman Mary was as committed a follower of Jesus Christ as any of the 12 disciples. A comprehensive study of this Mary and her husband Zebedee would provide us enough knowledge to know that they were very wealthy, very affluent, and had great influence in the community. The scripture records that her sons, James and John, were among the earliest of the disciples that Jesus called to follow him. And it's apparent that when her sons made their decision to follow him, that Mary also made that decision that she was going to follow Jesus. Mary was a very faithful and generous financial supporter of Jesus' ministry. She cared for his needs in Galilee. She followed him to Jerusalem. She was at the foot of the cross when he was crucified. She witnessed his burial. She heard the angel announce his resurrection. And she even carried the news of his resurrection to his disciples. The first Mary was brought out. This Mary was brought in. She didn't have the rough life that the other Mary lived. Amen. She, if you want to say it, she kind of had the silver spoon in her mouth. She didn't have the war stories of seven devils possessing her. But either way, whether she was whether the one Mary was possessed or the other Mary was affluent, both of them had to come to a place where they recognized, "I need Jesus." Mary, you might live in a three-story house, and you might have four bathrooms, but you can't get to heaven without Jesus. You might make six figures and drive a Bentley, but if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. And so I say today, everybody in this building, whether you've been brought out or you're bought in, it doesn't matter what your past looks like, Jesus is the answer. I need some folks that Jesus brought you out. Some of you, God delivered you from addictions. He delivered you from the pit. He brought you out of hatred. He brought you out of racism. If he brought you out, can you give him praise right now? See, we got some guests in the house today that need to know Jesus is still a God that brings you out. There's no problem too big for my God. There's no addiction too strong for my God. Come on, there's no issue too great for the name of Jesus. Now I need some of you that are bought in, huh? that you came to that place where you realize maybe you don't have you don't have seven demons in your past, huh? but you came to that place at an altar where you realize I've got to have Jesus. Huh? And then you realize wealth is not enough, affluence is not enough, influence is not enough. I need Jesus. And so it doesn't matter which path brought you here today because Here's the trick the enemy likes to use. He likes to use one Mary to say, Well, I, you know, the, 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 the other Mary who lived in a three-story house and drove a Bentley following Jesus around his ministry. I don't know if maybe a donkey named Bentley. And she looks at demon-possessed Mary over there. She says, Well, I can't serve Jesus because I don't have a past like that. Or the other Mary over here with seven demons with a messed up past looks at a fluent Mary over there and says, I can't serve Jesus because my past is too messy. Let me tell you, that's why we got both Marys in the house today, is because your past and your path do not disqualify you. Your past, no matter how bleak it is, does not disqualify you from being a follower of Jesus Christ. But you have gotta get brought out and you gotta get bought in. You can't halfway serve Jesus. You got to get all the way in. There are people here today, lots of us, that God brought us out. Amen. I could pass the mic. I know I know some of the stories here. Marriages were on the brink of ruin. Families were being destroyed, addictions, alcoholism, drug addiction, amen, and you've got a testimony of God bringing you out, and there are other people here today of what God has kept you from, there are people here today, you've you've never been drunk a day in your life, you've never smoked anything, amen, you ought to thank God, no matter what path brought you here today, you ought to thank God, either he brought me out, or he kept me out, either way, I thank God. No testimony is greater than the other. They both bring us to Jesus. The two Marys had traveled different paths, but both arrived with the same purpose. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 27, verse 58, the night of the crucifixion, the body of Jesus is given to a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph wraps the body of Jesus in a clean linen cloth and places it, the Bible says, into his own empty tomb. The Bible tells us that they then rolled a stone in front of the tomb and they left and went their way. And now the graveyard is empty. All the disciples have gone home to wrestle with their disappointment. That is all except for two shadowy figures lingering in the dusk of humanity's darkest day. The Bible tells us that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, that these two Marys, everybody else is gone. Even Joseph of Arimathea, whom the tomb belonged to, had buried Jesus and went his way. The disciples are gone. Nobody else is in the graveyard. Nobody else is outside the tomb except for two Marys. The Bible says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are sitting opposite the sepulcher where the body of Jesus lay. The gospel according to Mark chapter 15 verse 47 gives us more insight as to why Mary Magdalene and this other Mary simply called the other Mary linger in the fading light of despair. Mark says they were beholding where the body of Jesus was laid. Amen. They were watching carefully to see the exact spot where the body of Jesus was laid. Bible commentaries say it this way. They observe with interest the exact location where the body of Jesus was placed. Anybody have any, had, ever had a small child and you had maybe some candy or some gum and they knew you had it? And y- it wasn't time for them to have it, but you look and they're peeking around the corner when you're putting it away. Then they see you, they duck behind the corner again. You know why they're watching you? Because they're waiting for you to leave so they can go get the candy. They want to see the exact spot where that candy, and that's what the two Marys are doing. They're, they're carefully observing. They want to see the exact location, the exact spot, the, way, the, the tomb and the place where the body of Jesus was laid. Now, you might come to the conclusion that neither Matthew nor Mark has given us much insight as to why these two Marys are lingering while others are leaving. The actions of these two ladies, when the sun begins to rise on resurrection morning reveals their lingering as the sun was setting on the crucifixion. So what they do on the resurrection reveals why they were lurking when the sun was setting on crucifixion even. Because the Bible says that as the sun began to rise, these same two Marys that were lurking at dusk are now lingering at dawn. Amen. At dusk they were looking around the corner, but here they come as the sun begins to rise on resurrection morning. Matthew says it this way in Matthew Twenty-eight and one in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, here they come: Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, come to see the sepulcher. Once again, Mark adds further insight to their intention, why they are lurking. When we look in Mark sixteen, chapter sixteen, verses one and two, and this is what Mark says: When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. The Bible says, Mark said, the reason that they came when that sun was rising on that first day of a new week, amen, was they were coming for the activity of anointing the body of Jesus with spices, which was an act of devotion. And if I could say it this way, it was an act of worship. Their arrival as the sun rose on that third day was for one purpose, and that was to anoint the body of Jesus. They were just looking for one last opportunity to worship Jesus. That explains why they were lingering at dusk. Because I need to know where you lay, Jesus, because I got to get one more chance to worship him. Everybody else might be leaving, but I'm looking for one more opportunity to worship Jesus. Everybody else might be running, but I need one more chance to worship Jesus. If I could say it this way, they were planning their next move. Can I say this? For a follower of Jesus, worship is always your next move. Everybody else might be departing. Everyone else might be languishing in disappointment, but I'm lingering in anticipation. I'm planning my next move. Well, what are you going to do if you lose your job? I know what my next move is. I'm going to worship him. What are you going to do if your children walk away? I know what my next move is. I'm going to worship him. What are you going to do if China attacks? I know what my next move is. I'm going to worship him. What are you going to do if COVID resurges again? I know what my next move is. I'm going to worship him. I wonder how many of you came today make you ready to make your next move. I don't know what you might be going through, but I'm going to tell you what your next move should be. It should be to worship Jesus. Some of you, the doctor gave you bad news this week. What's your next move going to be? Some of you have been going through it in your families. What's your next move going to be? I wish somebody let the devil know right now. My next move is to worship Jesus. I don't need to wait till all my bills are paid. My next move is to worship Jesus. The problem some of you are reactionary you worship after God does something you're like the other disciples some of you kids over here hey Amen. you're reactionary if things are going your way you're gonna be a worshiper I'm gonna tell you, you ain't gonna make it far in your walk with God like that you better make up in your mind right now no matter what comes against me huh? no matter what weapon is formed against me huh? no matter what the enemy brings against me I want to let the devil know right now, my next move is to worship Jesus. Somebody ought to say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Turn to somebody next to you and ask him, what's your next move going to be? Well, about 90% of you failed that pop quiz. You sat there and stared back at him. I don't know, ham? Potato salad? Wrong answer. Ask your neighbor again, what's your next move gonna be? Well, we're getting a little better. One more time, turn and ask your neighbor, what's your next move gonna be? What are you gonna do right now? What are you gonna do in this place, in the middle of your problem, in the middle of your pain? I'm gonna worship Jesus. I'm gonna work. If you can't do anything else, can you raise your hands? Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of glory and honor. You're worthy of praise. I bless you, Lord. You give and you take away. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonians and said in chapter 5, rejoice evermore. Paul said this is what your next move needs to be. It needs to be rejoicing. Well, if the Redskins win, or whatever they're called now. If that team with the hideous uniforms wins, then I'll, no, 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 rejoice evermore. If I get a pay raise, then I'll rejoice. No, rejoice evermore. Your next move, you need to make it up in your mind right now, your next move is to worship Jesus. Rejoice evermore. And then the next verse said, pray without ceasing. Your next move needs to be prayer. No matter what you're going through, your next move needs to be prayer. But Paul's not done. He said in everything, give thanks. In everything. Yes, in every your next move needs to be worship. Well, I don't feel good today. Your next move needs to be worship. I'm just a little bit tired today. Your next move needs to be worship. The psalmist said it in Psalms chapter 34, verse 1 I will bless the Lord. You all know the verse, but do you know the actions that go with the verse? I will bless the Lord at, last time I checked, 120 was a time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The Living Translation says that verse this way, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I lost my job. What's my next move? I'm fighting discouragement. What's your next move? I'm facing fear. What's your next move? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, in the darkest of the hours that humanity has ever known, When it literally looked like hell had won, they were planning their next move. I just need one more chance to worship Jesus. Everybody else might be leaving. I know everybody else is disappointed. Everybody else went back home. Even Joseph did his job. He gave him a place to, to lay his body, and then he went back. But I just need one more. I've got to see exactly where they lay the body because in 36 hours, I'm coming back here. In 36 hours, when the sun starts rising, I'm coming to worship him. Hey, you need to let your name. Ain't nobody getting between me and an opportunity to worship Jesus. Nobody. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary arrive on the dawning of a new day. But it doesn't even stop there, not just a new day, but a new week. But not even does it stop there, but on a new dispensation for humanity. And I know that some of you think today's highlight is a, an Easter bunny that somehow lays chocolate eggs. If you find a bunny that lays chocolate eggs, I implore you don't eat the eggs. (laughs) The highlight of this day is not your Easter egg hunt, the highlight of this day is not the candy in your Easter basket. You need to understand the significance of the new day, of a new dispensation that dawned on the morning. of When these two Marys walked into that cemetery, they thought they were just walking into a new day. They thought they were just walking into a new week. They didn't know they were walking into a new dispensation. I think even as a church, Brother Andre, where you at, Brother Andre? Did a great job this morning reminding us of the significance of the resurrection. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul wrote to the church at Rome and said, Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. In other words, if Jesus had not resurrected, there is no justification. What is justification? Well, it's a big Bible word that simply means God declaring you to be righteous. Amen. Without Jesus Christ getting up out of that grave, not one person in this room today would God ever declare you righteous, but because he got up, I'm justified. I preach today to the worst sinner in the room. I I preach to the drug addict, the alcoholic, the pervert. And I tell you today, there's hope for you because Jesus got up. Raise your hands with me right now. It doesn't matter what you've been through, whether you're the other Mary or Mary Magdalene, whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or you've been possessed by devils. Amen. Because Jesus got up, God can call you justified. The resurrection of Jesus Christ provides us the opportunity to be declared righteous in the sight of everybody in this room, everybody in this room has the same opportunity for God to declare you righteous because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me just read one more verse and I'll, it's about halftime now, I'm going to, I'm going to try to end the game early in the third quarter, all right. First Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead a living hope how through the resurrection no in other words no resurrection no hope to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away the value of your salvation will not fade Am I noticing that your dollar is not worth as much today as it was a few months ago? But because of the resurrection, your salvation is as valuable today as it was the day Jesus found you. And it will never lose its power. It will never lose its value for all of eternity. It can't be wiped away. It can't be wiped away. The enemy cannot remove it because of the resurrection. I've got a living hope. Living I I don't know if that moves you or not, but it moves me because Jesus got out of the grave. I have a living hope. And it will not, and it will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Mary Magdalene thought this was just another new day, another, we would call it Monday. That's our first day of the week, but for them it was Sunday, the beginning of the week. It's another new day, another new week, but in fact it was the beginning of a new hope. The day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave brought the most dramatic change for humanity that we will ever experience. Greater than that place in Montana that in one day experienced 103 degree temperature change. The day that Jesus got out of the grave, the change for you and me was greater than that. The day before Jesus got out of the grave, Cortez, you could never be saved. But the day he got up, you can be saved today. It is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It's the Gibraltar of the gospel. We understand that today. If there is no resurrection, Paul wrote to Corinth and said, listen, if there's no resurrection, then preaching is a waste of time. And I know some of you right now, like, yeah, you need to listen to Paul. I'm not wasting your time. I'm delivering something that could change your eternity. The best time you spent this week is listening to the word of God be preached. Paul said if Jesus isn't resurrected, then preaching is a waste. And he said your faith is a waste. You believing in God is a waste of your time. If Jesus is still in a grave somewhere, if Jesus is still in a tomb somewhere, then your faith in God is a waste, is what Paul said. If he ain't out of the grave, it's a waste. The reason it ain't wasted, Brother Henry, is because he got out of the grave. The reason it's not a waste is because Jesus got up. Listen, and there are those today that argue. Well, he, he didn't really resonate. Let me give you some evidence, some proof. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty easy to crack. I don't like pain. If I, you know, if I had $100 and you're like, Jason, give me $100. I mean, no, I'm not giving it to you. All right. Well, then we're gonna break your finger. Here you go. In fact, I think I can find another hundred if you like that, that with interest. I don't like pain. I, I'm, I, I'm easy. You're you're gonna get whatever you want from me with just a, threaten my loved ones. You can have my house and my car too. All right. The ele- the eleven disciples, aside from Judas. Ten of them died horrific deaths. Matthew, slain with a halberd which is a long pole with an axe at the, you've probably seen them. I think the monkeys in um, The Wizard of Oz were, anyway, I don't just strange the things that come to your mind. It's like a pole with an axe on it. They, they, They slew Matthew with an axe. I want you to pay attention to this today because we can come into church and take what's happening right now so trivially. I'll come back next Easter if I don't like this sermon. James was stoned to death. Thomas, who at one time doubted. Now they took a spear and thrust it through him. James, one of the sons of this other Mary, was put to death by the sword. Andrew was crucified. Thaddeus beheaded by an axe. Simon the zealot, not the same as Simon Peter. History tells us they saw his body in half. Bartholomew the... Bartholomew, they beat him until there was not much left, and then they hanged him on a cross and crucified him. Philip, records say either he was crucified or beheaded. They're not sure which one. Simon Peter, who had once been so fearful that he had denied Jesus at the moment Jesus needed him most, But now they brought him and they said, all these disciples, easily they could have gotten out of it, Brother Jones. All they would have had to say is Jesus was not resurrected. All they had to say. We didn't see him after he was buried. It's all they had to say. It's a lie. We didn't really see resurrected Jesus. That's all they had to say. And they would not have been sawn in half. They wouldn't have been thrust through with the spear. They wouldn't have been stabbed through with the sword. They wouldn't have been crucified. But now they bring Simon Peter, who at one point in time had been so fearful that he denied Jesus and and bailed out when Jesus needed him the most. But now they look at Simon and they say, either you denounce Jesus is alive or we're going to crucify you. And Simon says, hold on, before you do that, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus so all I ask is uh, turn me upside down and then cru- amen 10 men well, all they had to do is say it never happened and they refused to do it why because Jesus is alive yeah. Jesus is alive this isn't a myth it's not a story it's a fact Jesus is Paul said that after his death, Jesus appeared unto 500. And many of those 500 died horrible deaths just as the disciples did. And all any one of them would have had to do is say, it's a lie. Jesus never appeared to us. But every last, not one of them, not one single person said, it's a lie. Jesus didn't really appear. Let me tell you, you've got to really be convinced. You've got to know what you saw. And every last one of them laid down their lives so that we can have faith today. Jesus is alive. Even today. Oh, I know it's cushy and comfortable here at Living Hope. Air conditioned y'all are chilling. Like, I hope this guy hurries up. I got a ham to get to. I got some potato salad waiting in the fridge I need to get to. My honey was talking about steak on the grill. I need to get out of here. I know that's how, that's the the environment here where we live, but all all around the world right now, there are nations where people are being Executed over the same thing. They say to them, denounce Jesus Christ or we're going to kill you. And one after one, after another, after another, they stand in their faith and they say, I cannot deny what I've experienced. I cannot deny. I cannot deny Jesus is alive. I I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him in my heart. He changed my life. He picked me up. He turned me around. He said, I will not deny Jesus You better get that in you today, living hope. You better get that faith in you. I ask, how much would it take? How much would it take for you to denounce Jesus? What would they have to threaten you before you said, I'm out? Here's the deal. If you really encounter Jesus, there won't be anything they could threaten you with. My final point. You're going to be seated for just a moment. All right. As Mary from Magdala and the other Mary come to anoint the body of Jesus, and they come to worship him, they have this incredible and unexpected encounter. Right? We know what happens. Matthew 28, 2 and 3 provide for us the account. There's a great earthquake because are the... The earthquake was the result of an angel of the Lord descending from heaven. The angel rose back the stone. When the angel sits on the stone, the earth shakes. The Bible says his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And here's Mary, known because of her children's fame. The other Mary, Brooks' dad. And here's Mary Magdalene from two different paths, but they've come to worship Jesus. But they're not the only ones, Sister Jones, that experience this resurrection. They're not the only ones that see the angel. They're not the only ones that see the stones rolled away. They're not the only one that feels the earth shaken. They're not the only ones. Because the Bible tells us in the same cemetery standing beside the two Marys, there are a squadron of guards. A watch that had been positioned there outside the tomb. And they saw everything that the Mary saw. They saw exactly the same thing. They saw an angel descend. They saw the stone roll away. They saw the angel sit there. They saw him light like lightning and white raiment. They, they felt the earth shake. They felt everything that the two Marys experienced. They felt the same thing. And yet the response of the two Marys and the guards is very different. Mary's experienced fear, but the Bible tells us their fear is mixed with joy. The Bible tells us that the guards, they experienced fear, and the result of their fear is they became like dead men. The difference of their response on this day was the reason they came the day before. The difference on this day was their purpose the day before. The day before The two Marys are watching, and they're just waiting. i got to see exactly where they lay Jesus because I've got to come back to worship him. And when they see evidence that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is resurrected, that that the grave couldn't hold him, this is the best day they've ever had, and their fear is overwhelmed by joy. It's the best thing that's ever happened to them. Why? Because my purpose in coming was to worship him. If you're here today and your purpose is to worship Jesus, the resurrection is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Nobody needs to tell you to clap your hands because the news that Jesus is alive is the best thing that's ever happened. But the guards, on the contrary, the guards, the day before, they had been ordered by the chief priests and the Pharisees at their request, and their mission was to come and seal the tomb. And the words were, no matter what you do, don't let Jesus out of that tomb. That was their entire purpose. Make sure Jesus stays in his place. We're all right with Easter Sunday, Jesus. Once a year because Grandma invited me, Jesus. Once a year because my spouse bought me a pink shirt and I need to wear it with the only tie I got that matches is Jesus. And I, y'all don't want to laugh right now because you're nervous. The guards, their purpose was to keep Jesus in his place. And as long, listen, here's why. Because as long as Jesus stayed in his place, he's just a man. As long as that stone doesn't roll away and Jesus stays inside of that tomb, he's just another man. He's just a prophet. He's just a preacher. There's nothing godly about him as long as he stays in his place. But the moment Jesus steps out of his place, the moment he moves out of the grave, the moment he moves out of that tomb, he's no longer just a man. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. Come on. The moment, Larry, he got out of that tomb. Y'all got to preach in a moment, all right? The moment he got out of that tomb, he's no longer just a man. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He's the healer. He's the lifter. The moment he comes out of the tomb, he is the Savior. He's everything he said he was. The moment he steps out of that tomb, he's the bread of life. The moment he steps out of that tomb, he's the way maker. The moment he steps out of that tomb, amen, he's the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star. And the guards said, We've got to keep Jesus in his place because, as long as Jesus is in his place, he's just a man. And that's why so many come like guards because they're afraid if Jesus ever gets out of his little place in their life. If he ever steps out of being just another story in a book. If he ever steps out of his place, that I, out of his little Sunday morning routine that I put, I'm okay with Jesus being between 11 and noon. I, I'm okay with Jesus being between noon and 1.30. But if Jesus steps out of that, hey amen, I'm in trouble. And that's why the guards come to keep Jesus in his place. While the Marys were there to worship, the guards were just there to watch. While the resurrection of Jesus was the best news the Marys could receive, it was the worst news the guards could receive. What a difference a day makes. Their response on resurrection, both, both, both parties, the women and the guards, their response on resurrection morning was determined by their approach on crucifixion night. Their response to the declaration of the angel was decided by their purpose at the tomb. Their response to the resurrected Jesus was there, was determined by their approach to crucify Jesus. The Bible tells us that these two Marys who came to do what? Worship. Making sure I'm not doing a solo act up here the last hour. Worship. The Bible says, the angel looks at him and says, quickly go and tell his Just you don't have to do it. She's like, oh Lord, Quickly. Go tell his disciples that Jesus is alive. You know what the next move of those Marys was? They're off. I'm doing it in slow motion. Gone. The Bible says the next step was obedience. Why? Because when you come to worship, your response is obedience. But when your purpose is to keep Jesus in his place... Same experience, same angel, same dissension, same stone rolled away, same appearance like lightning, same everything. But the Bible says that these guards who were there and their purpose is to keep Jesus in his place. The Bible says that when they saw this, they were overcome with fear, and their fear resulted in they became like dead men. Let me ask you what what do dead men do? Nothing. You have, Depending on what movie you're watching, right? Dead men do nothing, right? They don't do anything. So your response right now to the good news of Jesus Christ is all, it's not dependent on how good I preached. I'm not here today. This ain't a slam dunk contest. You didn't get little cards with one through ten on the back. It's not up to me. Your response to the good news of Jesus Christ is not dependent on me. It's not dependent on, on what the thermostat was set at or what songs we say. Your response to the resurrected Jesus Christ is your pursuit today. Did you come to worship him or did you come to keep Jesus in his place? Did you, if, if you came to worship him, then your next move is going to be obedience. Your next move is going to be, I need you, Jesus. Your next move is going to be, I've got to have Jesus. I need more of you, Jesus. But if today you came to keep Jesus in his place, if today you came just to make sure Jesus doesn't get out of his box, your next move is going to be nothing. I'll wait till next Easter. I'm just telling you today, I feel in the Holy Ghost. I don't know that there's going to be a next Easter, people. I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody through fear, because if you're saved, it ain't a fearful thing. But Jesus is coming back really soon. And the same way that we saw him ascend, he's going to descend again. And this time he's going to come with a shout. And so I ask all around this building, the news, I came today to declare you the good news, Jesus is alive. It's for everybody, no matter what path brought you here. Whether you've been possessed of demons or you've lived a great life, it doesn't matter. Jesus is for you. And I ask those of you that came today to worship him, I ask you to raise your hands with me right now. Come on, somebody, I ask you right now. I know it's Easter Sunday and we've got family plans. I want, Brother Jesus, let's bring your wife. We're going to get ready to baptize her. whatever whatever your next move is for some of you your next move is just simply to raise your hands for some of you your next move is to run to an altar for some of you your next move is to get in those waters of baptism only dead men will do nothing only those that came to put Jesus in his box will do nothing and so I'm asking you right now it's, it's his gospel it's yours now to respond to And I'm asking you to obey. I'm asking you to respond to what God is speaking. If you came to worship him today, I'm asking you to simply do whatever is next. He's alive. It's the best news. It's the best news. Because he's alive, I've got hope. Jesus, I don't want you to stay in your place. I want you to get out of that tomb and walk through my world today. Jesus, I don't want you to stay in the box of religion. I want you to get into my life today, Lord. I want you to walk through my world. I want you to walk through my relationships. I need you to be the Alpha and the Omega. I need you to be the resurrection and the life. I need you to be the Lily of the Valley. I need you to be the Bread of Life. I need you, Jesus. What I'm asking you to pray right now. Let Jesus out of the box. It's Easter Sunday. Let's not confine Jesus to a little 15 minutes response to the preaching of the word. But if you'll raise your hands right now and just say, Jesus, I give you liberty to do whatever you want. You are the king of kings. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm